I want to take you to this morning the birth, birthplace of Ecclesiastes. Okay? I want to take you to, because we've been in Ecclesiastes, amen? Please don't give me that blank look like you didn't know that. We've been on this for like weeks and weeks and weeks, okay? So I want to take you to the birthplace of Ecclesiastes. I want to take you to the place where Ecclesiastes was born. Are you ready? Want to go on that journey with me? I hope you want to because we're going. 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse number 4. The birthplace of Ecclesiastes. And the king, and literally I felt so compelled that there is, it's impossible to go through the book of Ecclesiastes without covering this subject here. 1 Kings 3 and 4. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon the altar. Somebody say it's good to give a sacrifice to the Lord. Somebody say God likes that. From a pure heart when we give to him out of gratitude and thanksgiving. So Solomon, a thousand burnt offerings. It's a big deal. It's a, it's a festive time. It's a time of, of giving and sacrifice unto the Lord. And God was pleased with that. And Gibeon, in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give thee. It wasn't a genie in a bottle. It was God Almighty in heaven. He said, here it is. Blank check. Anything, Solomon, that you could want, I'm giving you a blank check. Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said... Thou hast showed, notice he didn't even just answer the question. Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is, as it is this day. And so his response when God's like, hey, you ask anything you want. His first response is like, his mouth drops to the floor and he says, wow, God You've been so amazing to me and my family, my father, my life, and you hear gratitude coming out of him. You don't hear arrogance. You don't hear it. You hear a man of gratitude saying, wow, God, you are, you are so good. And he says, now, seven, O Lord, my God, thou hast made thy servant king. He's blown away. You've made me to be king instead of David, my father. And notice what he says. And I'm the greatest king there ever was, like Muhammad Ali. Is that what he said? No. And he said, I am, I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And he approaches the Lord in humility. I don't have it all figured out. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the intelligence. I don't have everything that I need, Lord. I'm just like a child. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Lord, this is your great people, and I'm but a little child. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad for who is able to judge this thy so great a people. And now we hear the motive for his request. His motive is pure. His motive is one of humility and gratitude to God and recognition of the magnanimity and power and wonder of the, and the majesty of God's people. And his motive in asking this question and the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. He asked for an understanding heart to judge the people. And 11, God said unto him, 
Because thou hast asked this thing, and notice, has not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor has asked the life of thine enemies, but has asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, because God said, because you asked the right thing, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart so that there was none like thee before thee, neither shall there after thee any arise like unto thee. Wow. I'm blown away. And Solomon hit the spiritual jackpot. Sorry, David. Bingo! He hit the jackpot, the powerball, the spiritual lottery. Can we pray this morning and lift our voice to God? Can we do that together collectively as a congregation? Jesus, hallelujah, we stand before you as none other than your people. We've taken upon you, your name upon our lives in the waters of baptism and filled with your spirit. We have you in our lives. You're our king, our God, our leader, our savior. You're all of this, Lord. We collectively are the people of God. We're the church. Lord, the most powerful entity on planet Earth. And we're just asking you, Lord, to talk to us, but, but asking you, Lord, like Solomon did. I'm, I'm not just praying for wisdom for myself, but I pray let there be a collective prayer of this church that we would all, God, do as Solomon did and ask you for the greatest thing that we could ask for, and that is wisdom, that is understanding, oh God. I pray, Lord, you would give that to us in, in great measure. Give that to us as a church. I pray every saint and child of God, Lord, would grow in their, their knowledge and their understanding and their wisdom. And I pray you would help us with this, Lord, the greatest thing we could ever ask for. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. This morning, it, it, it just there was no way that we could go through this series talking about Ecclesiastes without covering this very important subject. And my subject this morning, the life code, because remember, Ecclesiastes is a life code. It's, it's the key to unlocking the mysteries of life and un us understanding what life is all about. My message this morning is get wisdom. Get wisdom. Get wisdom. May God help each and every one of us to get wisdom because the key to life, the key to truth, and the key to this Bible is this beautiful subject called wisdom. Amen. Amen. And really, I, 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 my, we pray, just prayed that, but my prayer is that everyone that is here would, would get wisdom. You individually would get wisdom. Oh, that our parents would had, have God-given wisdom. Amen. Oh, that our grandparents would have God-given wisdom. Oh, that the employees that are dispersed throughout this community would have God-given wisdom. That God would give all of us as, as fathers and workers and our young people. Oh, that our young people would have wisdom. I thank God for all the, the, the youth that are in the church. Oh, that God would give them wisdom while they're yet young. I don't think it's possible for us to go through a series on Ecclesiastes without this message. The greatest grand pursuit of life is the pursuit of wisdom. As a matter of fact, Ecclesiastes is predicated upon wisdom. The entire book is about wisdom. It's about the pursuit of wisdom. So if that's what it is, I think then, then we need to ask ourselves the question, what does that mean? What is wisdom? What is wisdom? 
What is wisdom? If wisdom is that high of a priority, if it's that important, if it's that vital, if it's that helpful, if it's that life transforming and changing, then what is wisdom? I'm glad you asked. I'll give you some definitions here. Knowledge and good judgment. Wisdom is knowledge and good judgment. Wisdom is the faculty of insight, intelligence, and understanding. Wisdom is intimately related to divine knowledge manifesting itself in the selection of proper ends with the proper means for their accomplishment. Now, those are longer definitions than, than what I really like. If you allow me, this is my working definition of wisdom. I like this one the best. Are you ready? If you're taking notes, dial in, listen with me here this morning. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. And they are two different but interrelated things. And it is so important that we get that concept as God's people. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. In other words, it's the ability to apply the things that we know. I'll say it like this. Knowledge is the bullet. Wisdom is the gun. Knowledge is the arrow. Wisdom is the bow. It's what delivers the knowledge. Knowledge is the football. Wisdom is the quarterback. You tracking with me? Wisdom is the guitar, or knowledge is the guitar, Andrew. Wisdom is the guitarist. Guitar is a beautiful instrument, but by itself, it's not going to be very effective. It's the skilled person that can use the guitar. And I would say that is what wisdom is. Wis or knowledge is the car. Wisdom is the driver. Knowledge, if that, none of those work for you, knowledge is the fishing pole. Wisdom is the fisherman. Get it? What lure to use, where to cast it, what lake to go to, what depth to be at. Wisdom is the application it's the fisherman applying the right lure in the right scenario in the right way. Knowledge is the engine. Wisdom is the fuel. Knowledge is potential, but wisdom is power. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. Knowledge is a thing. Wisdom is a person. You're going to have to think with me here this morning. Whenever wisdom is discussed in the scripture, especially in Proverbs, it is, it is referred to as a she. It's not an it. It is a she. It is a person. Wisdom. Okay? So what do you mean by that? I've got sitting here on, on my table, I've got tools, and I hope they're the right ones that I want to work with here. I think they will be. So knowledge is a tool. <laughs> and the dust goes flying everywhere. One of you volunteer your arms? <laughs> Just kidding. So knowledge is like a tool, but wisdom is knowing how to use the tool. Knowledge, I would say, is a very, very important thing, and there's a lot of people that major in their lives on knowledge, and knowledge is a very, very important thing. Somebody said amen. amen. But what do you do with that knowledge? How do you apply that knowledge? It's a tool. It's one thing to have a tool it's another thing to know how to use this tool. This in the hands of a wrong person is a very dangerous thing. Anybody ever cut their finger off on a table saw? Anybody in the building here? 
This is a drill. You know, here, yeah, probably what I need is like a paintbrush and a roller up here because that'd be a little better example. Because I have never met one single person that says that they don't know how to paint. Everybody knows how to paint. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know how to paint. When really, you know, reeling in their head, they've never painted in their entire life. You say, well, it's so obvious. All you got to do is you just dunk the thing in there and you, you roll on there. And then you walk into their house and you look around, along that top edge and it looks like this. And maybe you don't, but me, I want to scream when I see that. I mean, you can do that in your house. Just don't do it in mine. It's one, thing, it's one thing to have a paintbrush. It's one thing to have a roller. It's another thing to actually know how to really, really paint. Right, Chaz? I mean, people may arrogantly walk into your paint booth at work and say, anybody could do this. Well, they could, but probably just not very well. You'd have runs and drips, and it just looked terrible. And it's one, it's one thing to have the tool. It's another thing to know. This is a jigsaw. This is not a hammer. So if I have a, I should be careful somebody else's tools. If I have a nail here, I don't probably want to do that. That's not what this tool was created for. So knowledge is a tool. It's a tool. So there are people that spend their entire lives acquiring knowledge, which is definitely an important thing. But how to use that tool is even more important, I would say. Do you know why I'm teaching the Bible? Because I want you to understand the Bible. There's a lot of people that can... Do you know that the devil can quote the scripture? Probably, probably better than a lot of us in the building here. Do you know that I can take this tool and I can misuse and misappropriate, twist, distort, and contort this, this tool, proper, improperly understand it? It's one thing, and the thing is, this is amazing to me, but in America, the, dis the distribution of Bibles is absolutely incredible. You know how many Bibles there are in the world right now? There was a day we're like, yeah, big deal. There was a day, though, before Gutenberg's printing press that Bibles, you could not hardly, I mean, if they were transcribed, they were highly expensive. They, you couldn't get them. But, you know, every, I mean, almost everybody in America has a Bible. So many people have a Bible. The problem is not that people don't have a Bible. The problem is that people don't read it. They don't understand it. They have a tool that's sitting in a cupboard, but they have absolutely no clue on how to use it. What I'm saying here today is it is important that we not just have knowledge but it is important that we have an understanding of how to apply the knowledge to our lives. That's called wisdom. We have to have the tool, but I need to know how to use the tool. That is wisdom. Wisdom synthesizes truth and knowledge. Wisdom utilizes knowledge properly. It's kind of like, and I wish I would have brought it. I got it at home, but I've got this, uh, and it's funny because I think to my wife, it's the solution to almost everything. I got a little thing of salve. She's like, pull the salve out. Use the salve, which it, re it really is. It's like a magic cure-all. So we've got this little tin. It's called Watkins, Watkins salve. And so the other, the other week, I've been doing some work. I'm building a workshop right now. So I've been, I've been working on that, and I've been working with OSB and ripping a bunch of sheets of OSB and all that. And I got slivers all in my hands everywhere. And if you don't get them out of your hand, they start to swell, and they start to get infected. And so I was picking at it, and I couldn't get it out. 
And she's like, well, the salve. So I took the salve and I put the salve on there and I covered it in a Band-Aid. And so I woke up the next morning and there, you know, it was kind of my finger, my hand was red. And then I just went like this and I squeezed it as hard as I could. And all of a sudden, boink! <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> we got victory. <laughs> and uh, Joe's got walking salve. If any of you have a need here today, Joe's got walking salve with him, by the way. And just like that, it's a salve. But, you know, the salve, the salve is potential. If I don't know how to use the salve, the salve, wisdom is applying the salve to the problem, right? Okay, it's like this. Knowledge is the understanding that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is you don't put it in a fruit salad. Right? So this, <laughs> and I'm a much wiser man than what I used to be. And some of you know, don't even know where I'm going. It's sorry, it's an inside joke. You never should sell, tell inside jokes from the pulpit because people don't get them. This is uh, concentrate. This brings me back about 20 years. I preached a message years ago about the message was, it was a great message, it was about from concentrate, that God obviously was concentrated deity, he was mighty and he was powerful and untouchable and invisible and, and uh, so then I took it and, and poured it into a, a jug like this and I said, but, but deity went into humanity, God became a man, this concentrated deity was put into a man and and then I said, but then guess what we get to do? That, that concentrated deity, we get it in our lives. <laughs> I'm just careful of this thing right now. And you get the Holy Ghost. You get God in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the Bible says to stir up the gift that lieth in you. And you know it. And I was preaching really good. And you know what? You got to stir it up, the gift. And then you know what you do after you stir it up? You serve it up. And I went to drink it and, it, and I had the mouth of the thing in the wrong direction. I tipped it back and I had a beautiful ABI white shirt on. And that grape, and my wife on the way to church that, that night, she said, are you sure you want to use grape juice? Yeah, sure, of course. <laughs> and I dumped that grape juice all over my shirt. There was a point to this. The older you get, the more you chase rabbits, you understand, right? This is knowledge, though. This is knowledge. Knowledge is concentrated. It's potency. It's powerful. It's, but the knowledge has got to be applied. You've got, you've got to mix that knowledge. And I really want to take a drink of that. But you've got to mix that knowledge into your life. It's one thing to have knowledge. It's a complete different thing to apply the knowledge to your life. How many readers do we have in the house here today? How many like to read? We got readers? I'm going to suggest that. Set goals in your life. Read books. Develop your library because your library will develop your mind and your heart and will help you to become. Amen. It'll help you to grow and become. It'll help you to grow. It'll help expand your thinking and your mind and your intelligence. And all that is very, very important. I've got a library. I've got a lot, of, a lot of books in my library. Can I tell you something, though? The books are knowledge. They're helpful. But if I don't take anything out of those books and apply them to my life, what good is it going to do for me? The application of that, that knowledge brings wisdom into our life. It is the application of knowledge that brings wisdom into our life. And I preached for a little while here this morning. 
We, as a culture, have mistaken education for wisdom. I'm going to say it again. We have mistaken education for wisdom. We send a kid to elementary school and junior high school and high school. And they are, they are given books. They're given all kinds of materials. They, are, they sit through hours and hours of lectures. And, and, and they're given because the fallacy is that if we can give knowledge, then that's going to produce in people what needs to be produced in people. My question for the entire educational system, and I'm not trying to be a smart aleck here this morning, but what's the expected outcome? What is the product that billions of dollars of tax dollars are going toward? What are we trying to produce? What is, what is edu- we're, we're falsely assuming that just getting an education means that people are going to come out of life. These children are going to graduate their 12th, their 12th grade, and they're going to be 17 or 18 years old, and they're going to be prepared for life. And the truth of the matter is, I don't think that it's, we've gotten as much out of our investment that we should have. Somebody in the church said Amen. And I'm not here to critique and criticize. I'm just saying, can you imagine 12 years of life? And yet, how many young people, sadly, they leave school and they don't know how to keep a home? Sadly, how many leave school? They've never been taught people skills. It's it's a a sad thing in our world today that children are are given all this mass information, some of which is never, ever going to be used. And and haven't we all said that before? Like, when am I ever going to use trigonometry or calculus? When am I? And, 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 and I'm not here to just beat up on that, but, but, but we give them all these facts and all these figures, and yet, and yet they don't have people skills. They don't know how to say hi to someone. They don't, they don't know how to treat people. Cordiality has is, is gone out of fashion in how to carry a genuine conversation. And we've handicapped our, our, our wonderful children in, in the sense that they, they, they can work a, a phone, but they can't have a telephone conversation. They can't hold a conversation. Who's to blame for that? I'm not blaming our children. I'm just saying that we have falsely assumed that if we give somebody an education, that they're going to leave that education with wisdom, and it doesn't happen. How many kids leave school? They don't have a work ethic. I mean, and, and anybody that works in the workplace knows this, and it's a great challenge, and I feel bad in some ways for this, this generation because they, they don't have a work ethic. They don't know how to, how to work. They show up and, and how to be a productive employee and, and rise within uh, the, the job that they're in. And it's, it's education does not mean the same thing as wisdom. How many poor young people, they, they, they leave school and they don't know the basics of finance? That, that, that blows my mind. How interest works, how to budget, how to save, how to build and protect your credit. They just, there's no understanding of that because we've, we've falsely substituted education and knowledge alone without that application of wisdom to their lives. And they are at a loss as a result of that. How, about, how, to, how to evaluate a purchase? How, how do you know whether this is a good deal or it's not a good deal? How about this one? And I, I'll just be real plain here. Talk about the mechanics of, uh, in the plumbing of sex. This is a sperm, this is an ovary, hand them a condom, and expect them to make major life decisions. And we wonder why, I mean, it's a terribly difficult way to start life. 
How about this one? They're, they're 18 years old and we sign them up for a college program and they fill out FAFSA and they don't realize they've just signed themselves up for $70,000 to $150,000, $200,000 in debt that they're going to accrue for that education that they're going to, that college education they're going to get. Many of them, they leave that. Their, their counselors have given them advice. Other people go to college and so on. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's not the thing to do, but it's not the automatic thing to do because when you're done with four years of college and you have a $100,000 bill and, and some of them can't find a place to go get a job to be able to pay those student loans. We've, we've just given knowledge. We've given education. But we haven't given wisdom. We, ha we hand them a phone that has the computing power to send a, an astronaut to the moon. And yet we don't give them the skills because this thing also has pornography and it has perversion and bomb making and all kinds. See what I'm saying? We, we throw knowledge at it without giving, without giving wisdom, teaching gratitude, what it means to be thankful. For. How about etiquette? How about just no, this? And this is why it's, it's, it may seem weird, but in our church, there are times that we're going to, we've gone through things and we're going to continue to go through teaching. I pray that our youth group does that, that we go through, that we teach, we teach etiquette. How to treat people. I'm like, well, teach them how to talk in tongues. That's good. You don't teach them how to talk in tongues. You know what I'm saying? Encourage them to have a relationship with God. Teach the Bible. But also part of that wisdom says that, that, that we need to know how to treat people. Please. Thank you. What are you saying? I'm saying it's possible you can be book smart and life stupid. <laughs> And that's, that's exactly what Solomon is dealing with. He talks, I mean, I read a biography a while ago by uh, Walter Isaacson about Einstein. And Einstein, of course, was, he, was a, he was a verifiable genius. The guy, his, his thinking ability and all that. I was, I'm going to tell you this, though. When I got done with that biography, I was very disappointed. Let me tell you why I was disappointed. Albert Einstein was not a very great guy. I mean, there were some characteristics uh, Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, there were some things, but man, his family, wow. The way he treated his kids, the way he treated his ex-wives, and I just thought, wow, this guy was, was smart, but he was life stupid in a lot of ways. What are you preaching this morning? I'm saying, we need wisdom. God, give us wisdom. We need wisdom. We need wisdom to raise our kids. We need wisdom to know what car to buy. I thought I was in church here. No, we need wisdom. You buy the wrong cars and, 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 and get yourself deep into debt, and now you got to work three jobs. You can't go to church and backslide and go to hell because you bought the wrong car. See, we need wisdom. What college do I go to? What food do I eat? What should I spend my time doing? Is this okay or is this not okay? We need wisdom. How do we navigate pain in life? I mean, what about major medical decisions that need to be made in our lives sometimes? We need wisdom. What about challenges that come up within our family? We need wisdom. We talk about the, the mission of the church is, is to reach the lost. We need wisdom. He that winneth souls is wise. How do we do that? To live godly and to live holy lives. We need wisdom. 
What do we do with our time? How do we steward our time? We need wisdom. Holy Ghost, help us today. And I sincerely pray that when you come to church, you don't just get knowledge, but you get understanding also. I love it that the word of God, all this, and you can watch it happen in people's lives that all of a sudden the light bulb goes off. You know what I'm talking about? And, and as a result of walking with Jesus, you live better. You make better choices in life. A message on Sunday isn't just a dictionary download. It's not just a book report. It should be encapsulated wisdom and life application. In other words, after I experience God in my life and I learn his word, I should have the ability to make better choices and make better decisions and that almighty God would give me wisdom in life to take the precious knowledge of this book and put it to work in my life. That's wisdom. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Amen. And there are people that come to my mind when I think of, of this, this topic here this morning, when I think of wisdom, there are unique people who love God deeply. They are unique people who have a depth of heart. It seems like when you speak with them, their view cuts to the heart of a matter very quickly. They seem to have an ability to see things with crystal clear clarity, people issues, spiritual issues, business decisions, medical things, financial things. They are varied in their interests and in their personalities, but they possess a certain canniness about themselves. Sagacity. I would describe them as humble, witty, sharp, intelligent, inquisitive, persuasive, instructive, deep, passionate, wise. We just came back from breakthrough ministry training, and I'll tell you, man, if you missed it, you're going you're gonna to you're gonna wanna go next year. We had a phenomenal time. And I tell you one thing that I appreciate so greatly. One of the speakers that, that spoke, uh, Tim Zuniga, I, tell you, I, I just, I so much enjoyed his teaching and his preaching because it was like as he's dispensing the word, here's this, and, and to me, it's, it's this subject, the telltale sign of wisdom, the application of knowledge. There are sages in life, troubadours of truth. They're like stalwart rocks that stand the test of time and weather the storms of life. They are people of wisdom, and I respect them deeply for that. The reason why, I'm going to explain something here this morning. The reason why Jordan Peterson has such a following, the reason he has a following in our world is not his knowledge. It is his wisdom. Because we are living in a world that is, that is knowledge rich and wisdom poor. We're living in a world that is dispensing and thinking. I mean, if I can watch another YouTube video or if I can listen to more news and I can consume more information than somehow have the answers for my life and yet they've got, you know, they've got more degrees than the thermometer and, 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 and they're smart, quote unquote, and they have knowledge and yet their life isn't working out. Their life is not working. And the reason for that is, is they have knowledge, but they don't have wisdom. The greatest thing that we could have this side of heaven with our God God is wisdom and understanding. I want to encourage someone in this church that we were not created by God to go in circles our whole lives. We were not created by God to live and spin our wheels in foolish frustration. I would say this, that when God gives a pursuing man or woman wisdom, 
He charts their course with dreams. He puts within them destiny. There is goals that are within their heart. There is spiritual ambition that will drive them to places they never dreamed that they could ever go because the wise man and the wise woman travels forward with direction, completing, becoming, doing, growing, conquering, learning, and just plain old really living. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Wise people don't exist. They live. They live. What should I do in this situation? When should I do it? What is the right decision to be made here? Uh, I'm almost tempted to give you a message I'm, I'm going to preach someday, but I got so many someday messages, I probably ought to just throw them out there now. The greatest question ever, do you know what the greatest question ever is? In every situation of life, the greatest question ever. Every dilemma you face, every situation you come up against, the greatest question ever. Corey, the greatest question to everything that comes before us, the greatest question, you know what it is? What is the wise thing to do? It's the greatest question ever. It applies in every area and facet of life. When you come up to a decision time, the greatest question ever is what is the wise thing to do? What would God have me to do? What's the wise thing here? And to live our lives in pursuit of that, what is, what is the wise thing to do? How should I do it? You know, not only just doing it, but doing it the right way, with the right approach, at the right time. How many know what I'm talking about? You know you can do the right thing at the wrong time? You know you can do the right thing in the wrong way? <laughs> I, was at a, I was at a big conference, and the conference speaker was there. And the guy, the guy dealt with an issue. And uh, it was so interesting because the way that he dealt with the issue was... Um, my view was like, you know, if you have a fly that's buzzing around in the room, there's a couple ways you can deal with it. You can shoo that thing into another room and you can take a flash water and you just go, Smack! and he's either splattered on the wall or he just, he just drops. Or you can in public in front of everybody, you can take out a sledgehammer. <laughs> we took care of the fly, but we've traumatized the people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Maybe the right thing, wrong context, wrong way, wrong place. You know what I'm talking about? Is this all right? Get wisdom. It's the right way to do the right thing in the right time. The right thing. All right. The word wisdom is used 30 times in Ecclesiastes. 30 times in Ecclesiastes. The word wisdom is used. I'm going to throw you a couple examples. Chapter 8 and verse number 1. Who is as the wise man, and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. Wisdom makes your face shine. Bing! It's better than Maybelline. It's better than Max Factor. Boom. 
I remember before I was in church and uh, I was not, I did not grow up a Christian. I did not grow up a church. I was just, I was a heathen, heathen, rebel, rock and roller, long haired rock and roller. So I'm working in, in a warehouse and my uncle, I've told you the story. My uncle is the one that won our family to the Lord. And I'm, I'm working in the, in the warehouse. I'm 14 years old working. I was working since I was like two and a half. My dad wouldn't. Yeah. He actually helped me in a lot of ways that way. So, but, but come walking, come walking into the warehouse were these Pentecostal girls. And at that time, they had this thing called a poof. And what comes around goes around, so it'll, it will surface again at some time, I promise you. If the Lord tarries, I prophesy poofs in your future. And, and so they came walking, and they had, they had poofs and they had bows. So they had this big old, some of you remember, and bows. I mean, bows on the back of their head. You're like, that's so stupid. It wasn't then. It was actually... Pretty cool. So they came in, but I, but here's the thing. I was unsaved. And I remember when they came walking in the warehouse, I'm just a teenage kid and here coming these beautiful girls. But the thing that it was almost like, really at that season, I'm like, these girls are, they were glowing. They, they had a glow about them. They were, they were shining. And I was like, man, where'd these people come from? There was a purity about them and a truthfulness about them and a godliness about them. And they were, Solomon said, who is a wise man, a person of wisdom, it will make your face to shine. And the boldness of your face shall be changed. Wisdom will give you boldness. You say, I'm not a very bold person. If you have wisdom, you'll become a bold person. Because competence brings confidence. Sometimes you lack confidence. That's okay. It's part of life and growing up and understanding who we are. But you know what? Competence will bring you confidence. Wisdom will make your face to shine, Solomon says. Watch Ecclesiastes 9, 17. The words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. Read that again. The words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. It's not the volume of your voice. It's the content of truth and wisdom. Screaming louder doesn't always make you smarter. And all the parents said, amen. <laughs> amen. Sometimes you'd be so, Rah! do you ever notice that the more you scream, the less they hear you? And after a while, at that fever pitch, the kids just after all, just, Shoot! it doesn't affect them anymore. It doesn't impact them. So I want to reserve my voice. I want to reserve. And, and the truth of the matter is the Bible says right here that the words of sometimes, Truth spoken quietly in the proper way, people lean in. That's what Solomon says right here, because it's about wisdom. In other words, if I'm wise, if you're wise, guess what? The people around us, their ears start to open up. If I'm just a screamer, <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, you just get tone deaf to that, right? But, but wisdom, ears open up. Here's another example. Chapter 10 of verse number one. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. What does that mean? Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. That means that... 
If God gives you wisdom and you have hard-fought, hard-earned wisdom that has come into your life, you you, want to guard your wisdom. And I've said this many times in many different contexts, but you want to guard your wisdom because any of us here in this place, listen up, we're only one decision away from completely screwing our lives up forever. And if you've done that, there's hope. But I'm telling you, on this side of things, one decision away. That's what he's saying right here. Guard your wisdom. A few really dumb moves can demolish decades of wise living, a spot. And he's saying right here, just guard that. Man, if you're in reputation for wisdom and honor, keep your wins. Oh, hallelujah. I talked about, we were talking about our elders. Can I, can I consult with our elders here today? Elders, stay strong in your relationship with God. Stay strong in your conviction. Come on, somebody talk to me a little bit here this morning. As I'm preaching truth here today. Stay strong in your conviction. Stay strong in your holiness and your righteousness. Stay strong in your faithfulness because now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. And what you don't want to happen is this stage of life, you're like, oh, I've lived for God for 40 years. You don't want to start coasting at this stage of life. You don't want to start coasting in this stage of life. Amen. You want to stay faithful and strong and burning brightly till the very end. Somebody said amen. Amen. Till the very end, our prayer, may it not decrease, but may it intensify. Our church attendance, may it not decrease, but may it intensify. If God's given you a lifelong pursuit of wisdom and you've lived for God all these years, Amen, Dave and Cheryl, in this stage of life, stay focused on the things of God. If you've got reputation of wisdom, maintain that wisdom, maintain that faithfulness, uh, and stay true to your God. So the question is, how do I get wisdom? How do I get wisdom? Okay, you've talked the value of wisdom, value, it's, it's a wonderful thing. How do I get it? Obviously, Solomon prayed for it. Some will falsely assume that God automatically, when Solomon prayed for wisdom, that there was a, a download from heaven. Ching, 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 like AI, a chip. Can I tell you, God did not give Solomon a chip in his brain that automatically, instantaneously made him wise. Am I in the book here today? Okay, if I'm not, I'll further validate my point. The Bible says that Jesus increased in wisdom, increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. As a man, it says that Jesus increased in wisdom. Jesus, who was God in a bod, didn't just have the automatic download. As a man, he had to increase, okay? So when Solomon prayed for that, did say that he gave him a wise and understanding, are you ready? Heart. He gave him the right heart because that's it. If we have the right heart, man, I feel revelation here this morning. If you have the right heart, you're going to grow in wisdom. If you don't have the right heart, no amount of knowledge is ever going to impact or change you. You will be the way you're going to be for the rest of your everlasting loving life if you don't have the right heart. But if you have the right heart, God gave Solomon the right heart. He had a good heart. He had a healthy heart. He had a heart that was after God. God gave him that, and he gave him capacity and ability to achieve this thing called wisdom. Are you with me? So let me validate that in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 25. Notice, watch what Solomon says. Solomon said, I applied mine heart to know. Remember the heart? God gave him the heart. 
an understanding heart. He said, I applied. What did I say wisdom is? Application of knowledge. He said, I applied my heart. I, in other words, I put myself into it. You might need to slide forward on your purple chair a little bit here today and lean into it a little bit. He said, I, I applied mine heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. I applied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things. He was inquisitive because, listen, you're not going to get wise on accident. None of us doesn't work like that. But I am so thankful for the availability from God to us. Wisdom is available for us. You get wise on purpose. Wisdom is a pursuit. He said here, I applied mine heart to know and to search. He said, I searched for it. We don't wake up one morning wise. We search for it. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work that it just happens instantaneously and automatically. The Holy Ghost will not in one single moment make you wise, but it will give you the capacity for wisdom. The Word of God will give you the ability to acquire wisdom. Are you ready? If you'll, if you'll be hungry for it, if you'll search for it like Solomon. Solomon said, I applied my heart. What are you preaching? I'm saying wisdom is a gift from God to those who will seek it, those who will use it, those who will apply it to themselves. God dispenses wisdom to the pursuers of wisdom. That's why I'm preaching this congregation on this Sunday morning. Go after it. Pursue wisdom, desire it, think about it, get it with all of your life. Young people, husband, wife, elder, make wisdom your primary pursuit. And she will be found. Amen. Be inquisitive. That's what it says. Seek out the reason of things. Be inquisitive. Catch and learn wisdom from wherever and whatever source that you can. Proverbs, one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's amazing. When you read the book of Proverbs, it's pretty cool. Proverbs talks about ants, prostitutes. Talks about a man with his maid. Talks about a serpent slithering on a rock. It talks about a miner digging out precious metals. It talks about sons. It talks about mothers. It talks about lazy people. It talks about talkative people. It talks about nagging wives. There's all kinds of goodies in there. It, it talks about dripping faucets. That Solomon's like, he's, he's in quit, like, man, that dripping faucet, drip, 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 drip. That sounds just like a nagging wife. Drip, 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 drips. Stop! Chinese water torture! Drip. That's in there. That's what he said. He said, I didn't say it. He said, don't get mad at me. <laughs> you got to know. <laughs> you got to know my Uncle Bob. 
Uncle Bob's one of the funniest guys. He's one, one of our family of the Lord. My Aunt Brenda, she's a wonderful woman. And they had the most unique relationship. He'd look at her and he'd say, drip, 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 drip. If she was nagging him, if she was nagging him. There's all kinds of, it's in there though, folks. It's not enough to just read the Bible. It's not enough to just read the Bible. It's important that I understand the Bible. This is how we approach, we approach wisdom. It's like a treasure hunter that is hungry to find a valuable treasure. That's what it's it's like. I read an article years ago out of Reader's Digest and the guy's an emerald hunter. It's the coolest story. The guy's guy's in Africa and he's different nations of the world and he's, man, he's searching and he's finding, he's got got apparatus and he's got contacts and he's got people and they're going and they're digging in the earth trying to find the precious emeralds. You know, it's like the guys, what do you call the guys, the, the luthiers, the guys that, that make guitars and they're, 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 they're timber cruising and they're cruising through the woods and they're looking for that just right tree because that just right tree, if we cut it down, it's going to make a beautiful, beautiful guitar. The, the wood's going to sing and they're searching and they're looking. It's like, I mean, it's like the treasure hunters. You, you realize how many billions with a B, billions of dollars of treasure is at the bottom of the sea? I read a book years ago. It's called Ship of Gold in a, uh, a Deep Blue Sea. And it's, it was a side-wheel st- steamer uh, in South America that went down like 150 years ago. And they knew it was there. And, and so side sonar, they're doing sweeps. Hours of boring, hours of boring, hours of boring. And finally, the end of the story is they found that Ship of Gold in Deep Blue Sea. And it was with a B, billions of dollars of treasure, gold coins. How did they get it? They searched for it. They searched. And that's what he's saying right here. If you want wisdom, you search for it like a valuable treasure. I'll close with this. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, 9 through 11. And moreover, the Bible says, this is the last chapter of Ecclesiastes. I'm not done with Ecclesiastes. We have two more weeks. But this is the last chapter. Notice what it says, 12 and 9. Moreover, because the preacher was wise, and he still taught the people knowledge, yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. Among his very last words in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon's crowning achievement was not his palaces. It was not his gardens. It was not his musical emphasis. It was not his treasure of gold and silver. Solomon's crowning achievement was the acquisition and distribution of knowledge and wisdom. And it far outlived him. We have it today. It's called the book of Proverbs. Solomon's crowning achievement was Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. Twelve of Ecclesiastes. And he says this, notice, verse 11. The words of the wise are as goads 
the goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies which are given from one shepherd the words of the wise are like goads do you know what a goad is the goad was a sharp it was a rod it was a steel rod that had an iron spike on the end that was sharpened at the end and it was used in driving oxen a sharp metal rod big old oxen they'd get stuck now and then and it would direct them that's what he said the proverbs the words of the wise they prod us they encourage us they challenge us they challenge us be better they challenge us grow they challenge us learn don't be shallow mature become discover develop it's what the words of the wise they do it says like their nails fastened like a nail that's been pounded deep into a block of wood there are things in life that you will receive from God not just knowledge but wisdom but that will be pounded deep into your spirit like a nail pounded deep into a block of wood it says by the masters of assemblies that means the masters of collections in other words the collections of inspired sayings Anybody want to guess what that is? That's Proverbs. A collector of sayings, a collector of wise ways to live life. And as goads, they pierce deep into the heart, into the mind. Ecclesiastes is like a cattle prod. And some of you that endured that very first lesson, do you remember? We're all going to die. We're all going to die. You know what it's doing? Ecclesiastes is prodding us. Oh man, I feel Jesus. It is pushing us. It is steering us away from foolishness and folly. It is spurring us to humility as well as joy. It is poking us in the ribs and reminding us that life is short and the way we live this life, it matters. It matters. Amen. And I'll say this, my closing thought. Wisdom also. Wisdom leaves an inheritance. Wisdom leaves something behind. This life that we live is not just for us in the here and the now, but it leaves, it leaves bread, breadcrumbs. It leaves a trail behind us leading to something that is better. And I thank God that Solomon was not myopic. He was not completely selfish and self-oriented because Wisdom leaves something behind. And I would say here today, what Solomon left us, I'll just repeat, he left us the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes. Because that's what he said. He, it's like words, masters of assemblies, collector of inspired sayings. And I think we, we could say, thank you, Solomon, because you've made our lives better. His life work was the book of Proverbs. We don't have time to even dig into that too much today. But beautiful language, and you know what it'll do? It'll change your life. Furthermore, can I say this? The Word of God will change your life. Jesus will change your life. And He always does it for the better. Sometimes it may momentarily hurt, and we feel like we've been prodded. Like, whoa, man, you kind of pushed me a little bit there. 
But I'm so thankful that the Lord loves us enough that he prods us and presses us and directs us and he guides us because he's got a good life for us. And he doesn't want us to stay where we are. Stand with me together this morning.